The Idiot, Part Three, Chapter Five, by Fyodor Dostoevsky, translated by Eva M. Martin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Alia Mekki. Chapter Five. Hippolyte, who had fallen asleep during Lebedev's discourse, now suddenly woke up as though someone had jogged him in the side. He shuddered raised himself on his arm gazed around and grew very pale a look almost of terror crossed his face as he recollected what are they all off is it all over is the sun up he trembled and caught at the prince's hand what time is it tell me quick for goodness sake how long have i slept he added almost in despair just as though he had overslept something upon which his whole fate depended you have slept seven or perhaps eight minutes said evgeny pavlovitch hippolyte gazed eagerly at the latter and mused for a few moments oh is that all he said at last then i-he drew a long deep breath of relief it seemed he realized that all was not over as yet that the sun had not risen and that the guests had merely gone to supper he smiled and two hectic spots appeared on his cheeks so you counted the minutes while i slept did you evgeny pavlovitch he said ironically you have not taken your eyes off me all evening i have noticed that much you see ah rogozhin i've just been dreaming about him prince he added frowning yes by the by starting up where's the orator where's lebedev has he finished what did he talk about is it true prince that you once declared that beauty would save the world great heaven the prince says that beauty saves the world and i declare that he only has such playful ideas because he's in love gentlemen the prince is in love i guessed it the moment he came in don't blush prince you make me sorry for you what beauty saves the world kolya told me that you are a zealous christian is it so kolya says you call yourself a christian the prince regarded him attentively but said nothing you don't answer me perhaps you think i am very fond of you added hippolyte as though the words had been drawn from him no i don't think that i know you don't love me what after yesterday wasn't i honest with you i knew yesterday that you didn't love me why so why so because i envy you eh you always think that i know but do you know why i'm saying all this look here i must have some more champagne pour me out some Kala, will you you are not to drink any more hippolyte i won't let you the prince moved the glass away well perhaps you're right said hippolyte musing they might say yet devil take them what does it matter prince what can it matter what people will say of us then eh i believe i'm half asleep i've had such a dreadful dream i've only just remembered it prince i don't wish you such dreams as that though sure enough perhaps i don't love you why well, wish a man evil though you do not love him eh? give me your hand let me press it sincerely there you've given me your hand you must feel that i do press it sincerely don't you i don't think i shall drink any more what time is it never mind i know the time the time has come at all events what they're laying supper over there aren't they and this table is free capital gentlemen i mm, these gentlemen are not listening prince i will just read over an article i have here supper is more interesting of course but here hippolyte suddenly and almost unexpectedly pulled out of his breast pocket a large sealed paper this imposing-looking document he placed upon the table before him the effect of this sudden action upon the company was instantaneous evgeny pavlovitch almost bounded off his chair in excitement 
rogozhin drew nearer to the table with a look on his face as if he knew what was coming gania came nearer too so did lebedev and the others the paper seemed to be an object of great interest to the company in general what have you got there asked the prince with some anxiety at the first glimpse of the rising sun prince i will go to bed i told you i would word of honour you shall see cried hippolyte you think i'm not capable of opening this packet do you he glared defiantly round at the audience in general the prince observed that he was trembling all over none of us ever thought such a thing mushkin replied for all why did you suppose it of us and what are you going to read hippolyte what is it yes what is it asked the others the packet sealed with red wax seemed to attract every one as though it were a magnet i wrote this yesterday myself just after i saw you prince and i told you i would come down here i wrote all day and all night and finished it this morning early afterwards i had a dream hadn't we better hear it to-morrow asked the prince timidly to-morrow there will be no more time laughed hippolyte hysterically you needn't be afraid i shall get through the whole thing in forty minutes at most an hour look how interested everybody is everybody has drawn near look look at all of them staring at my sealed packet if i hadn't sealed it up it wouldn't have been half so effective <laughs> that's mystery that is now then gentlemen shall i break the seal or not say the word it's a mystery i tell you a secret prince you know who said there would be no more time it was the great and powerful angel in the apocalypse better not read it now said the prince putting his hand on the packet no don't read it cried evgenie suddenly he appeared so strangely disturbed that many of those present could not help wondering reading none of your reading now said somebody it's supper time what sort of an article is it for a paper probably it's very dull said another but the prince's timid gesture had impressed even hippolyte then i'm not to read it he whispered nervously am i not to read it he repeated gazing around at each face in turn what are you afraid of prince he turned and asked the latter suddenly what should i be afraid of has any one a coin about them give me twenty kopeck piece somebody and hippolyte leapt from his chair here you are said lebedeff handing him one as he thought the boy had gone mad vera lukyanovna said hippolyte toss it will you heads are read tails i don't vera lebedeff tossed the coin into the air and let it fall on the table it was heads then i read it said hippolyte in the tone of one bowing to the fiat of destiny he could not have grown paler if a verdict of death had been presented to him but after all what is it is it impossible that i should have risked my fate by tossing up he went on shuddering and looked around him again his eyes had a curious expression of sincerity that is an astonishing psychological fact he cried suddenly addressing the prince in a tone of the most intense surprise it is something quite inconceivable prince he repeated with growing animation like a man regaining consciousness take note of it prince remember it you collect i am told facts concerning capital punishment they told me so <laughs> my god how absurd he sat down on the sofa put his elbows on the table and laid his head on his hands it is shameful though what does it matter to me if it is shameful gentlemen i am about to break the seal he continued with determination i-i of course i don't insist upon any one listening if they do not wish to with trembling hands he broke the seal and drew out several sheets of paper smoothed them out before him and began sorting them 
what on earth does all this mean what is he going to read muttered several voices others said nothing but one and all sat down and watched him with curiosity they began to think something strange might really about to happen vera stood and trembled behind her father's chair almost in tears with fright kolya was nearly as much alarmed as she was lebedeff jumped up and put a couple of candles nearer to hippolyte so that he might see better gentlemen you'll soon see what this is began hippolyte and suddenly commenced his reading it's headed a necessary explanation with a motto après moi le déluge oh deuce take it all surely i can never have seriously written such a silly motto as that look here gentlemen i beg to give notice that all this is very likely terrible nonsense it is only a few ideas of mine if you think that there is anything mysterious coming or in a word better read it on without any more beating about the bush said gania affectation remarked someone else too much talk said rogojin breaking the silence for the first time hippolyte glanced at him suddenly and when their eye met rogojin showed his teeth in a disagreeable smile and said the following strange words that's not the way to settle this business my friend that's not the way at all of course nobody knew what rogojin meant by this but his words made a deep impression upon all everyone seemed to see in a flash the same idea as for hippolyte their effect upon him was astounding he trembled so that the prince was obliged to support him and would certainly have cried out but that his voice seemed to have entirely left him for the moment for a minute or two he could not speak at all but panted and stared at rogojin at last he managed to ejaculate then it was you who came you came where what do you mean asked rogojin amazed but hippolyte panting and choking with excitement interrupted him violently you came to me last week in the night at two o'clock the day i was with you in the morning confess it was you last week in the night have you gone cracked my good friend hippolyte paused and considered a moment then a smile of cunning almost triumph crossed his lips it was you he murmured almost in a whisper but with absolute conviction yes it was you who came to my room and sat silently on a chair at my window for a whole hour more it was between one and two at night you rose and went out at about three it was you you why you should have frightened me so why you should have wished to torment me like that i cannot tell but it was you there was absolute hatred in his eyes as he said this but his look of fear and trembling had not left him you shall hear all this directly gentlemen i-listen he seized his paper in a desperate hurry he fidgeted with it and tried to sort it but for a long while his trembling hands could not collect the sheets together he is either mad or delirious murmured rogojin at last he began for the first five minutes the reader's voice continued to tremble and he read disconnectedly and unevenly but gradually his voice strengthened occasionally a violent fit of coughing stopped him but his animation grew with the progress of the reading as did also the disagreeable impression which it made upon his audience until it reached the highest pitch of excitement here is the article my necessary explanation après moi le déluge yesterday morning the prince came to see me among other things he asked me to come down to his villa i knew he would come and persuade me to this step and that he would adduce the argument that it would be easier for me to die among people and green trees as he expressed it but to-day he did not say die he said live it is pretty much the same to me in my position which he says 
when i asked him why he made such a point of his green trees he told me to my astonishment that he had heard the last time i was in pavlovsk i had said that i have I had come to have a last look at the trees when i observed that it was all the same whether one died among trees or in front of a blank brick wall as here and that it was not worth making any fuss over a fortnight he agreed at once but he insisted that the good air at pavlovsk and the greenness would certainly cause a physical change for the better and that my excitement and my dreams would be perhaps relieved i remarked to him with a smile that he spoke like a materialist and he answered that he had always been one as he never tells a lie there must be something in his words his smile is a pleasant one i have had a good look at him i don't know whether i like him or not i have not time to waste over the question the hatred which i felt for him for five months has become considerably modified i may say during the last month who knows perhaps i am going to pavlovsk on purpose to see him but why do i leave my chamber those who are sentenced to death should not leave their cells if i had not formed a final resolve but had decided to wait until the last minute i should not leave my room or accept his invitation to come and die at pavlovsk i must be quick and finish this explanation before to-morrow i shall have no time to read it over and correct it for i must read it to-morrow to the prince and two or three witnesses whom i shall find there as it will be absolutely true without a touch of falsehood i am curious to see what impression it will make upon me myself at the moment when i read it out this is my last and solemn but why need i call it that there is no question about the truth of it for it is not worth while lying for a fortnight a fortnight of life is not itself worth having which is a proof that what i write nothing here but pure truth and b let me remember to consider am i mad at this moment or not or rather at these moments i have been told that consumptives sometimes do go out of their minds for a while in the last stages of the malady i can prove this to-morrow when i read it out by the impression it makes upon the audience i must settle this question once and for all otherwise i can't go on with anything i believe i have just written dreadful nonsense but there is no time for correcting as i said before besides that i have made myself a promise not to alter a single word of what i write in this paper even though i find that i am contradicting myself every five lines i wish to verify the working of the natural logic of my ideas to-morrow during the reading whether i am capable of detecting logical errors and whether all that i have meditated over during the last six months be true or nothing but delirium if two months since i had been called upon to leave my room and the view of mayor's wall opposite i verily believe i should have been sorry but now i have no such feeling and yet i am leaving this room and mayor's brick wall for ever so that my conclusion that it is not worth while indulging in grief or any other emotion for a fortnight has proved stronger than my very nature and has taken over the direction of my feelings but is it so is it the case that my nature is conquered entirely if i I were to be put on the rack now i should certainly cry out i should not say that it is not worth while to yell and feel pain because i have but a fortnight to live but is it true that i have but a fortnight of life left to me i know i told some of my friends that dr b had informed me that this was the case but now i confess that i lied b has not even seen me however a week ago i called a medical student kislorodov who is a nationalist an atheist and a nihilist by a conviction and that is why i had him i needed a man who would tell me the bare truth without any humbug or ceremony and so he did indeed almost with pleasure which i thought was going a little too far 
well he plumped out that i had about a month left in me it might be a little more he said under favourable circumstances but it might also be considerably less according to his opinion i might die quite suddenly to-morrow for instance there had been such cases only a day or two since a young lady at Colomna who suffered from consumption and was about on par with myself in the march of the disease was going out to market to buy provisions when she suddenly felt faint lay down on the sofa gasped once and died Kislorodov told me all this with a sort of exaggerated devil-may-care negligence, as though he did me a great favour by talking to me so, because it showed that he considered me the same sort of exalted nihilist being as himself, to whom death was a matter of no consequence whatever either way. At all events, the fact remained, a month of life no more. That he is right in his estimation, I am absolutely persuaded. It puzzles me much to think how on earth the prince guessed yesterday that I have had bad dreams. He said to me, Your excitement and dreams will find relief at Pavlovsk why did he say dreams either he is a doctor or else he is a man of exceptional intelligence and wonderful powers of observation but that he is an idiot at bottom there can be no doubt whatever it so happened that just before he arrived i had a delightful little dream one of a kind that i have hundreds of just now i had fallen asleep about an hour before he came in and dreamed that i was in some room not my own it was a large room well furnished with a cupboard chest of drawers sofa and my bed a fine wide bed covered with a silken counterpane but i observed in the room a dreadful-looking creature a sort of monster it was a little like scorpion but it was not a scorpion but far more terrible and especially so because there are no creatures anything like it in nature and because it had appeared to me for a purpose and bore some mysterious signification i looked at the beast well it was brown in colour and had a shell it was a crawling kind of reptile about eight inches long and narrowed down from the head which was about a couple of fingers in width to the end of the tail which came to a fine point out of its trunk about a couple of inches below its head came two legs at an angle of forty-five degrees each about three inches long so that the beast looked like a trident from above it had eight hard needle-like whiskers coming out from different parts of its body it went along like a snake bending its body about in spite of the shell it wore and its motion was very quick and very horrible to look at i was dreadfully afraid it would sting me somebody had told me i thought it was venomous but what tormented me the most of all was the wondering and wondering to who had sent it into my room and what was the mystery which i felt it contained it hid itself under the cupboard and under the chest of drawers and crawled into the corners i sat on a chair and kept my legs tucked under me then the beast crawled quietly across the room and disappeared somewhere near my chair i looked about for it in terror but i still hoped that as my feet were safely tucked away it would not be able to touch me suddenly i heard behind me and about a level with my head a sort of rattling sound i turned sharp round and saw that the brute had crawled up the wall as high as the level of my face and that its horrible tail which was moving incredibly fast from side to side was actually touching my hair i jumped up and it disappeared i did not dare lie down on my bed for fear it should creep under my pillow my mother came into the room and some friends of hers they began to hunt for the reptile and were more composed than i was they did not seem afraid of it but they did not understand as i did 
suddenly the monster reappeared it crawled slowly across the room and made for the door as though with some fixed intention and with a slow movement that was more horrible than ever then my mother opened the door and called my dog norma norma is a great newfoundland and died five years ago she sprang forward and stood still in front of the reptile as if she had been turned to stone the beast stopped too but its tail and claws still moved about i believe animals are incapable of feeling supernatural fright if i have been rightly informed but at this moment there appeared to me to be something more than ordinary about norma's terror as though it must be supernatural and as though she felt just as i did myself that this reptile was connected with some mysterious secret some fatal omen norma backed slowly and carefully away from the brute which followed her creeping deliberately after her as though it intended to make a sudden dart and sting her in spite of norma's terror she looked furious though she trembled in all her limbs at length she slowly bared her terrible teeth opened her great red jaws hesitated took courage and seized the beast in her mouth it seemed to try to dart out of her jaws twice but norma caught at it and half swallowed it as it was escaping the shell cracked in her teeth and the tail and legs stuck out of her mouth and shook about in a horrible manner suddenly norma gave a piteous whine the reptile had bitten her tongue she opened her mouth wide with pain but i saw the beast lying across her tongue and out of its body which was almost bitten in two came a hideous white-looking substance oozing out into norma's mouth it was the consistency of a crushed black beetle just then i awoke and the prince entered the room gentlemen said hippolyte breaking off here i have not done yet but it seems to me i have written down a great deal here that is unnecessary this dream you have indeed said gania there is too much about myself i know but as Hippolyte said this, his face wore a tired, pained look, and he wiped the sweat off his brow. Yes, you certainly think a great deal too much about yourself. Well, gentlemen, I do not force anyone to listen. If any of you are unwilling to sit it out, please go away, by all means. He turns people out of the house that isn't his own, muttered Rogozhin. Suppose we all go away, said Ferdishenko suddenly. Hippolyte clutched his manuscript, and gazing at the last speaker with glittering eyes, said, "'You don't like me at all!' A few laughed at this, but not all. "'Hippolyte,' said Prince, "'give me the papers and go to bed like a sensible fellow. We'll have a good talk tomorrow. But you really mustn't go on with this reading. It's not good for you.' "'How can I? How can I?' cried Hippolyte, looking at him in amazement. "'Gentlemen, I was a fool. I won't break off again. Listen to everyone who wants to.' he gulped down some water out of a glass standing near bent over the table in order to hide his face from the audience and recommenced the idea that it is not worth while living for a few weeks took possession of me a month ago when i was told that i had four weeks to live but only partially so at that time the idea quite overmastered me three days since that evening at pavlovsk the first time that i felt really impressed with this thought was on the terrace at the prince's at the very moment when i had taken it into my head to make a last trial of life i wanted to see people and trees i believe i said so myself i got excited maintained burdovsky's rights my neighbour i dreamed that one and all would open their arms and embrace me that there would be an indescribable exchange of forgiveness between us all in a word i behaved like a fool and then at that very same instant i felt my last conviction i asked myself now how i could have waited six months for that conviction i knew that i had a disease that spares no one and i really had no illusions but the more i realized my condition the more i clung to life i wanted to live at any price 
i confess i might well have resented that blind deaf fate which with no apparent reason seemed to have decided to crush me like a fly but why did i not stop at resentment why did i begin to live knowing that it was not worth while to begin why did i attempt to do what i knew to be an impossibility and yet i could not even read a book to the end i had given up reading what is the good of reading what is the good of learning anything for just six months that thought has made me throw aside a book more than once yes the wall of mares could tell a tale if it liked there was no spot on its dirty surface that i did not know by heart a cursed wall and yet it is dearer to me than all of the pavlovsk trees that is it would be dearer if it were not all the same to me now i remember now with what hungry interest i began to watch the lives of other people interest that i had never felt before i used to wait for kolya's arrival impatiently for i was so ill myself then that i could not leave the house so i threw myself into every little detail of news and took so much interest in every report and rumour that i believe i became a regular gossip i could not understand among other things how all these people with so much life in and before them do not become rich and i don't understand it now i remember being told of a poor wretch i once knew who had died of hunger i was almost beside myself with rage i believe if i could have resuscitated him i would have done so for the sole purpose of murdering him occasionally i was so much better that i could go out but the streets used to put me in such a rage that i would lock myself up for days then go out even if i were well enough to do so i could not bear to see all those preoccupied anxious-looking creatures continuously surging along the streets past me why are they always anxious what is the meaning of their eternal care and worry it is their wickedness their perpetual detestable malice that's what it is they are full of malice malice whose fault is it that they are all miserable that they don't know how to live though they have fifty or sixty years of life before them why did that fool allow himself to die of hunger with sixty years of unlived life before him and every one of them shows his rags his toil-worn hands and yells in his wrath here we are working like cattle all our lives and always as hungry as dogs and there are others who do not work and are fat and rich the eternal refrain and side by side with them trots along some wretched fellow who has known better days doing light porter's work from morn to night for a living always blubbering and saying that his wife died because he had no money to buy medicine with and his children dying of cold and hunger and his eldest daughter gone to the bad and so on oh i have no pity and no patience for these fools of people why can't they be rothschilds whose fault is it that a man has not got millions of money like rothschild if he has life all this must be in his power whose fault is it that he does not know how to live his life oh it's all the same to me now now but at the time i would soak my pillow at night with tears of mortification and tear at my blanket in my rage and fury oh how i longed at that time to be turned out me eighteen years old poor half-clothed turned out into the street quite alone without lodging without work without a crust of bread without relations without a single acquaintance in some large town hungry beaten if you like but in good health and then i would show them what would i show them oh don't think that i have no sense of my own humiliation i have suffered already in reading so far 
which of you all does not think of me a fool at this moment a young fool who knows nothing of life forgetting that to live as i have lived these last six months is to live longer than grey-haired old men well let them laugh and say it is all nonsense if they please they may say it is all fairy tales if they like and i have spent whole nights telling myself fairy tales i remember them all but how can i tell fairy tales now the time for them is over they amused me when i found that there was no even time for me to learn the greek grammar as i wanted to i shall die before i get to the syntax i thought at the first page and threw the book under the table it is there still for i forbade any one to pick it up if this explanation gets into anybody's hands and they have patience to read it through they may consider me a madman or a schoolboy or more likely a man condemned to die who thought it only natural to conclude that all men excepting himself esteem life far too lightly live it far too carelessly and lazily and are therefore one and all unworthy of it well i affirm that my reader is wrong again for my conviction have nothing to do with my sentence of death ask any one of them or all of them what they mean by happiness oh you may be perfectly sure that if columbus was happy it was not after he had discovered america but when he was discovering it you may be quite sure that he reached the culmination point of his happiness three days before he saw the new world with his actual eyes when his mutinous sailors wanted to tack about and return to europe what did the new world matter after all columbus had hardly seen it when he died and in reality he was entirely ignorant of what he had discovered the important thing is life life and nothing else what is any discovery whatever compared with the incessant eternal discovery of life but what is the use of talking i am afraid all this is so commonplace that my confession will be taken for a schoolboy exercise the work of some ambitious lad writing in the hope of his work seeing the light or perhaps my readers will say that i had perhaps something to say but did not know how to express it let me add to this that in every idea emanating from genius or even in every serious human idea born in the human brain there always remains something some sediment which cannot be expressed to others though one wrote volumes and lectured upon it for five and thirty years there is always something a remnant which will never come out of your brain but will remain there with you and you alone for ever and ever and you will die perhaps without having imparted what may be the very essence of your idea to a single living soul so that if i cannot now impart all that has tormented me for the last six months at all events you will understand that having reached my last convictions i must have paid a very dear price for them that is what i wished for reasons of my own to make a point of in this my last explanation but let me resume End of chapter five part three